Ha! We are Distractions Media. Hi, 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 we are Distractions Media. Over the past two years, we have raised money for charity during our 24-hour live stream in December. And we are currently preparing to do it again. This year, we're raising money for Anxiety Gaming, a charity that helps gamers and others find assistance for mental health issues, including anxiety and depression. Last year, we exceeded our goal, and we are looking to do it again. With your help, we're confident that we can do it. You can donate at distractionsmedia.com forward slash donations by clicking on the link. Also, if you want to watch us play games, have fun, and join our growing community, you can come check us out at twitch.tv slash distractionsmedia. It all starts at noon Eastern on Saturday, December 2nd. Thank you. 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 Thank you for your wonderful support. Bye. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, Episode 64, The Mervinian Battle Royal. During the height of the power of Howell, a poem was written, possibly around 930. Academics have argued that it may have been positioned later in the decade or even after the death of Howell. Some have even argued that it may have even been much before that and at the beginning of the 900s. Regardless, it sets out an ideal of a grand anti-English coalition of Irish, Scots, Bretons, Welsh, and Vikings. They would finally be rid of the English and create a new harmonious relationship on the island, free from English dominance. It would make sense if it was written after the Battle of Brunathbur, as this battle included an alliance of the Scots, Irish, and Vikings against the English, and possibly with the influence of some of the Welsh kingdoms. The English, however, won the day, and of course, it makes a great poem, and it is lauded by the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. The Welsh give it a line in the annals. The poem is currently a part of the Book of Taliesin. It is called, and again, excuse my Welsh pronunciation, the Armes Pridian. In English, it means the prophecy of Britain. The poem is a prediction that Cadwaller and Cynan of Brittany, two kings who were at the height of British power a long time previous, would return and conquer. This cycle of callbacks to ancient war leaders is not new, but it will always be fairly strongly intertwined in Welsh medieval writings. We know for a fact that when we look at past mentions of heroes like Aurelius Ambrosius and Arthur in more legendary terms, there has always been an ideal in the Welsh of calling back to great leaders to lead them to victory. And this is no different than that. Um, some academics claim this poem was written in the face of what was seen as Howell appeasing the English, since he took neither side in the larger battles. This may have frustrated fellow Welsh who may have wanted him to challenge the English. 
Some have suggested that this particular poem was written in the south of Wales, which would even make it more of a damnation and a condemnation, because, of course, that would be his own people that were condemning him for his inaction. Certainly, it could easily have been written in the north, where there appears to have been quite a lot of, let's call it, uh, disturbance over the issue of his alignment with the English. His absence on the battlefield could easily be explained by avoiding conflict with the English, he avoided future problems. The security of the Welsh kingdoms had not been strong for most of the last 500 years, and having the biggest bully on the block in your corner may have created the space Howell felt he needed. His kingdom was not easily protected by would-be allies to the north, so he could lightly face the wrath of the English alone. In fact, both Gwyneth and Doithbarth were victimized by raiding from various Saxon kings over the past 400 years. In those ways, his appeasement worked well for him. He kept the English off his back, and pretty much through his entire reign, was seen as a friend of them, which, again, may have worked well with his English overlords, but not so well with his Welsh allies. At the death of Howell, almost everything changes. First, the sons of Idwal return to Gwyneth, and immediately take back their father's kingdom, putting an end to another attempt by the Murphians to create a pan-Welsh kingdom. The kingdom of Wales was not to be. Iago, Idwal, and Ewan, Rodri, and Murig stood against their cousins, Owain, Rodri, and Edwin, and also, not surprisingly, led this conflict. It is interesting to note that the last born of Howell is not named Welsh. Edwin, of course, is an old Saxon name. It is not Welsh. So one wonders how this sat with the Welsh nobles, not eager to be a part of English dominance. In 949 or 950, Howell died. A year later, the sons of Howell and Idwal fought at Carnot. Professor Carimond speculates that this may have been because the sons of Idwal had already returned to Gwyneth and quickly re-established their links with the local nobility. The fact that it came so quickly after the death of Howell makes one wonder if, it had, if they had already been rebuilding support even before that, and whether the North Welsh chafed under the rule of Howell, who took over Gwyneth only five years previous. Effectively, the concern is, is that the nobility may have looked at his, let's call it weakness, and had been dubious of his ability to face the English and defeat what they would consider to be their oldest nemesis, and certainly considered the biggest halting point in Welsh dominance. And certainly this may have put an end to the predominant idea that there needed to be a united Welsh kingdom. If, as Professor Charles Edwards postulates, that Idwal Ap Arad may have been punished for his involvement in the battles with the English, he, may, he being executed after his possible interference in the wars between the English, the Vikings, and the Old North, then it would make sense that the nobles of North Wales may have been less pleased with Howell's compact with the leader of the English. The idea that he was tacitly agreeing with their aggression and using it to launch his own claim on Gwyneth likely left many quite unhappy. So you can see where that would then allow the sons of Idwal to come forward 
and trigger into that mentality and use it for their own advantage, which is to take back the kingdom that belonged to their father. And Carno appears to have been a defeat for the sons of Howell. The sons of Idwal were said in 951 or 952 to have ravaged the south, particularly Dovid. This would have likely have put an end to the ambitions of Howell, and that would of course show us that there was problems in the north. For them to have amalgamated so quickly into a military force that was able to take on the southern Welsh kings and their military, they must have had support in Gwynedd. And the fact that they were able to push not only into Gwynedd, but actually push all the way into the south and actually cause trouble in Dovid shows that they were definitely a force to be reckoned with. And this would continue to be the case. Two years later, it was Caragidion that felt the wrath as they too were raided. And eventually, by the river of Conwy, once again the sons of Eidwal defeated the sons of Howell. This time, they had taken the fight to to Iago as the sons of Howell had moved north and were actually raiding possibly from Powys into Gwynedd. And at this area around the river Conwy, they clashed. And in this battle, once again, it looks as if the sons of Howell were defeated and this time lost one of those sons as Edwin has apparently died at this point. Problematically, we don't know for sure. It's possible that he died here, but there is confusing mentions of his death in the annals, as they seem to be saying he died in one year and then saying he died over a period of a year. There's not really clear-cut definitions of when he died, other than that one mentions he dies in that or shortly after that battle. So thus it would make sense that he may have died of wounds or in some way from fighting in that battle, thus leaving only really one son of Howell left to defend his father's claims to the thrones of Wales. By 955, it appears that the two sons were now in charge. Oenep Howell ruled in Doithbarth, and Iago ap Eidwal ruled in Gwynedd. They both stood as signatories of a grant of land by King Erdred. Now, the reason why we believe that is because they were actually ranked as kings. And in fact, Morgain uh, in the kingdom of, of um, Gwent is actually ranked before both of them. But then it's it's Owain and then it is uh Iago, who are the next two to follow. So that usually shows their importance and possibly their longevity on the throne at that point. So you get that showing there was some consistency and also, interestingly, showing that there was some form of overlordship by the English crown over Wales even at this point. This changes over the next 20 years as for about a 20-year period, it appears that the battles between these two cousins continue and outside forces start to affect them. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. 
As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. In ways that are going to change both kingdoms for quite some time. In the meantime, however, the English seem to be having their own sets of problems, which again, dealing with Vikings and others... They weren't really focused on Wales, at least not for a good 10 years at this point. Gwent and Gluising, in the meantime, had merged into a kingdom that was called Morganug. And in that combination, Owain decided to attack. And on three separate occasions, he actually attacks the borders of Morganug uh, and chips away to their western boundary. In 960, 970, and 977, he, along with his son, Aineon, continued the force expansion in the south. He may have even ruled Powys at this point, though he may have also lost control of it after the Battle of the River Conwy, which would regardless leave Gwyneth as a strong power to the north. If they controlled Powys, of course, that would make them even larger and a bigger threat to the overall uh, southern kingdom and southern ability of Doithbarth to expand. However, the sons of Eidwal themselves had their own sets of problems, first in the form of Vikings who attacked in 661 and 662, led by a group called the Sons of Olaf. Now, Professor Charles Edwards in his writings has postulated that these Vikings may have come from a couple of different locations, one of which was suggested to be from the Kingdom of Dublin, which was still in Viking hands at this point, and the other being possibly in the Hebrides, this being the called also the Island of Foreigners, which meant it was a Viking uh, raiding post, effectively. And either of these could be true. The Olaf that they talk about ruled... In one case, the Kingdom of Dublin at the time. In the other case, there was an Olaf that had ruled at the Hebrides before that, which would make sense if they were the sons of Olaf. There's not a whole clear description, much like everything else at this time period. Names are just bandied about with no concept of who they are, what they're doing, where they're from. You just kind of have to speculate, and a lot of times this leads to 
an underwhelming amount of information and not terribly historical information to go on. So you're left guessing at some of this, and that is one of the aspects of this. And so, of course, this problem that they have to deal with causes them to face attacks both in the Hlin Peninsula and on Holyhead. And these were devastating attacks, bad enough that they were mentioned as being uh, savage and that they r ravaged the land. And these kind of statements make it think that they probably were fairly devastating to the local population. Uh, interestingly enough, even though they hit the island of Anglesey, there wasn't uh, any loss of, of kings at this point. There's no mention of any of the kings of Gwyneth dying at this stage. So obviously they were able to fight them off. But nonetheless, these raids from the Vikings were damaging. Certainly they damaged probably the faith of the people with their king, Iago, and also the faith of Iago in his fellow people. Uh, nobles and in his brother and this will only get worse as time goes on uh elfhira the elder man of mercia marches on gwyneth in 697 according to the annals he ravaged the lands of gwyneth a year later he then returns and hits the sons of idwell again this time at their capital on anglesey these attacks and their aftermath led to a split between the brothers as ewan was jailed by iago in in 969. This may have been because Iago was weakened by the losses and possibly feeling threatened. He may have felt that he had no choice but to act against his brother. One can imagine that after this decade of defeats, after so many previous successes the ten, ten years prior to that, this may have been a bitter pill for these brothers to swallow. It also probably put a lot of mistrust into the minds of his followers and into the minds of his brother, and his descendants. Certainly that becomes a cross as you start to look into history on this. Because at this point, and shortly thereafter, Iago may have hoped that he was going to heal this split. And he designates his nephew, Huel, who is the son of Ewan, as his heir. And in fact, there is a document in the English records which shows Huel, a Huel anyway, being mentioned ahead of Iago. Now, whether it's this Huel, we don't know for sure. Uh, academics speculate that it is the case, that he is the person they mean in this situation. If so, that is a hugely important precedent because it shows that while Iago obviously is still king, he is becoming slowly a subservient king. And instead of being a fellow co-regent with his nephew, he appears to almost be relegated to being a step down from his nephew. Now again, one can see that this may have a relationship to the nobles and what they thought. You can. The one thing that comes across when you look at this period of Welsh history is it appears that the nobility and their support of their kings comes down to the ability of the kings not just to make peace, not just to be able to bring prosperity, but also to be able to fight the wars that they expect them to fight, to be able to take the battle to the enemy and actually win the day. And whenever they can't seem to do that, that seems to be when there is this turn against them. Now, whether it's a full-on revolt or whether it's just a, a, a demand 
and a mutiny against the king. We don't know. There isn't enough information to really inform us on this. We can make some guesses based on other people's problems and how they kind of worked out. And the way things are kind of left unmentioned in the annals leaves one to question some of these things. But we don't know and we can't really pin down everything that may have happened. Certainly you do question whether or not his brother Yuan was more popular than Iago. And even if Iago was seen as the senior brother, he may have been the old, older sibling. Uh, it calls to question whether or not that he had overstepped his bounds and that he got himself into big trouble by doing what he did. And thus, when he sets Howell up as his uh, regent and heir, he puts himself into a bad set of circumstances and ones that he cannot maintain and get out of. And with his death, we see the end of the sons of Eidwal in charge of Gwyneth. And we'll see that the sons of Mervyn at this point are starting to die off. By 980, even Owain has died, and all of these sons of Iago and Howell are gone. And with them, the last link to the stability of the Welsh crown ends, and we get a period of destabilization, which is bad for Wales at this point because this is creating problems that will go further down the line and certainly create opportunities for some. And we'll see within the next hundred years just how much that opportunity presents itself. And I look forward to talking more about that. I think Next week, next time, we'll talk a little bit more about millennialism at this point in time and kind of what the Christian community is thinking as we get close to year 1000 AD. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for reaching out. Comments on Twitter, I read them. Comments on Facebook, I read them. And emails, I definitely read them. I try and respond when I can. I may not, if I don't respond immediately or if I didn't respond to you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me again. Uh, you can reach me at welshhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at welshhistorypod. You can also reach me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash welshhistorypodcast. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks you so much for becoming supporters on Patreon. I've been noticing that more and more people are picking up and considering donating and becoming supporters of our podcast. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Edge of the Abyss Creations is a proud sponsor of the Welsh History Podcast. Your one-stop shop for unique jewelry, paintings, and other crafty creations. You can find us at facebook.com slash edgeoftheabyss1. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more info, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.